If you have your Bible with you, or if you have a Bible app on your phone, I'd invite you to, to go to James 4. Uh, we're going to be in verses 1 through 10 today as we continue in our series in James. And if you were here last week, Pastor Michael led us through the, the last portion of, of chapter 3 in verses 13 to 18 where we talked about wisdom. And we're going to have a continuation of that today. And as we get into verse, excuse me, chapter 4, we're going to, we're going to go through what, what, what we're going to call these wars within us. And it was interesting, during our community group last week, when we were talking through James 13 to 18, we, we, we got to the portion of verse 316. And if you're familiar with that passage of Scripture, that's where James starts to talk about these things like jealousy and ambition and, and, and the negative effect that they have on us. And as we, as a group, tried to talk through examples of that in our lives so then we could kind of put some application to it to how do we deal with that as Christians? How do we deal with these problems? Sadly, you know, the, the conversation naturally just kind of went to the current election cycle. And it, there was no partisan discussion, no discussion of issues or candidates or anything like that. It was just a discussion of, and the word I think I would use is just a toxic environment that, that we're seeing. I mean, it, you don't have to have your TV on for 10 minutes to, to get bombarded with these just negative and, and hateful and, and insincere, you know, just, just stuff coming across the, 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 the TV or go to your mailbox, open up the mailbox and, and you know, chatter at work. I, I don't even want to turn on the news right now. And it, that was actually a good conversation for us as a group to talk through, okay, how do we deal with those things when they come up? As Christians, how do we deal with the negativity? How do we express what, what James calls in the, in, the, in the last portion of chapter 3, the wisdom from above? And so I was getting ready for work on Friday, and I, I had a kind of a fleeting thought. I was like, yeah, you know, I just can't wait till November 9th. You know, I'll wake up on November 9th. And my moment of clarity was, no, not really. Because even though the election will be over, I still have conflicts within me. I still have tensions with, with people in my life and, and, and around me. And, and, and simply a, a, you know, an election cycle going away is not going to solve those problems. Those are still things in me and with people around me that I need to reconcile and I need to figure out and fix. And as, as we go through James 4 today, what, what I'm hoping that we're going to see together is that James gives us some really great insights into what that looks like and how we do that. So I, I'd invite you to join me. Uh, we'll read together James 4, verses 1 through 10. And, and in there, James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war with you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that the, it is no, excuse me, do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell within us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, 
but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before God, and he will exalt you. Now, there's a lot in there. James is just packed with really, really great stuff and really looking forward to kind of unpacking that a bit with us today. And and what I hope we're going to see is James has laid out this really great roadmap for us. And and to really understand that well, I'm going to take us back to the last two verses of chapter 3. And, and, and uh, I don't have a slide, and I'll just read. You can follow along with me if you've got your Bible with you. In James 3, 17 and 18, James writes, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, the reason I bring us back to that portion of Scripture is because when we include that with the verses we just read in James 4, 1 through 10, what we see is James showing us this roadmap that starts with the purity of God. If you listen to this word picture that James paints for us in 3.17 and 18, we see words like pure, peaceable, merciful. We see impartial and sincere. I'm sure when I brought up the, just the topic of an election cycle, most of you had some type of a thought in your head, and it most likely was not positive. And as we look at what James describes in 317 and 318, that's, those are the kind of words and those are the kind, that's the kind of environment that I think we're all shooting for when we sit here and go, how do we get out of this, this insanity that we've got? And as we continue into James 4, what we see James do for us is then he paints a picture for where we are, who we are, ourself today. And there we see words that that aren't quite so positive and aren't quite so encouraging. We see words like covet. We see words like murder. We see fight and quarrel. Words that that, that frankly bother us and and leads us to a position of we started up in the left and the top and now we're kind of down in the bottom and the center and that's not what we want to do. That's not what we want to be. And fortunately, James then continues through the second half, through six through ten, and he just heaps there. And it's just really, really great piece of scripture. I think there's five important truths that James explains to us today that we can take a look at. And the first one, and James is rather blunt and straightforward, so I'll be as well, is the source of my problems is me. Uh, it, it was interesting. You know, as, as you prepare for a, for a message and a sermon, um, you, 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 you have a tendency to look at a lot of different things. And, 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 and a vast majority of research really goes nowhere. And that's okay. Um, but it was funny, I was kind of looking at this one, and I had a thought in my head of where I wanted to go, and I actually found a website, www.whatswrongwithyoupeople.com. I didn't click on it, um, but, but it just reinforced in my mind, you know, hey, no, it's not you people, it's me. And, and that's what James is explaining to us in, in this first part. Let's, let's look at what James says again in verses 1 through 3. James, James asks, he, he does some rhetorical questions that he answers for us. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you, 
You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend on your passions. Let's spend a moment talking about that last word, passions, because Paul, excuse me, James uses it twice in just these three verses of Scripture. And passion can be good, or passion can be very, very bad. So, for instance, if, if we have a passion for God, if we have a passion for people who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we have a passion to share the gospel and our story with them. If, as husbands, if we have a passion for our wives and we want to love and cherish them and, and fulfill the biblical responsibilities of a husband, those are all great passions. They're positive. They're constructive. They get us back to that picture we had up there in the top left-hand corner of God's purity, of a good place to be. But there are also very bad passions. The passions for pleasure. The passions for notoriety or fame or money or, um, or ease. It really depends. The question becomes, whose passion is it? Is it mine or is it God's? And it's interesting, as I was doing some more research, uh, for those of you who don't know Tom Rainer, uh, Tom Rainer, uh, he was a pastor, he was a uh, dean at Southern uh, Seminary, uh, president of uh, Lifeway Books, uh, great writer, great researcher, re- really super source, and uh, he's also got a pretty good sense of humor, and actually had people send him examples of fights and quarrels within their church. And uh, he actually put some editorial comments on that I won't share with you today. Um, but let me just share a couple of examples. These are actual examples that people sent to him that said, hey, this happened in my church. A 45-minute argument on a type of filing cabinet to buy during a business meeting. A fight within a church over which picture of Jesus to hang in the foyer. Another church, and this is important because it gets to purity, had a fight over whether they should have cran grape juice or grape juice with the Lord's Supper. Another important um, issue to, to, to make sure we're clear on is should we have deviled eggs in the church at a lunch? <laughs> One church had fights over the type of coffee to buy, and no kidding, they reported that people in their congregation left the congregation because of the decision that was made. And then, of course, my personal favorite, because we're Baptists, is the disagreement over whether we should have a potluck or a pot blessing. And, you know, we laugh at these, because on, on the face, they're kind of humorous. They're kind of funny. But then when we step back for a second, and we think about God's church, his body, and, and we consider where our passions are, and, and we, we, we dig down into, you know, what a moment ago, we're pretty funny. Well, they still are funny. But we, we dig down into the, the cause of some of these things. And, and we have to take a step back and go, whoa, wait a minute. Really? I'm not a big coffee drinker. And, you know, but if I wanted one, someone has put one back there that I can just go get for free. I was like, God convict me. If I get my nose out of joint that the free cup of coffee someone gave me isn't my favorite. 
God, convict me if that gets in the way of me having fellowship with my brothers and sisters in here, with me focusing on the message, with me focusing on, look, the the, the statistics say that 80% of the people in this area don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. God, convict me if my concern over the type of coffee outweighs my focus on reaching those 80% of those people. But we're not alone in this problem. One of the greatest ministers, one of the greatest disciple makers ever seen. Listen to what, uh, what Paul says. He says, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And, and you can just read it. You can feel the word, the frustration coming off the page at you as Paul says, I don't get this. This is driving me nuts. I know what I should do. But internally, I've got a war inside of me that that is leading me to not do the things I want and do the things I hate. But James helps us with this. Because as we step back and take a look at these first three verses in, in verse 10, what we see is James outlines for us a series of cause and effect relationships that when we step back, from our concern over deviled eggs and filing cabinets and coffee, we say, why is this happening? And and so as you look, we've got three examples in verse 2 and one example in verse 3 where James says, hey, look, the, the effect is murder, but the reason, the cause of it was you desired something, most likely something unhealthy or unholy, something that you didn't necessarily need was against God's will. We He says we fight and quarrel. Well, the cause of that is because we coveted. We wanted something, or we wanted more, or we wanted something somebody else had. We weren't satisfied with what God had provided to us. He says, you don't have. What's the cause of that? Because we didn't get down on our knees and pray and say, God, what's your will, and can I have this? For your glory, which is the the fourth one. We don't receive because we ask wrongly to spend it on us as opposed to spending it on God. That's the roadmap that, that, that... James lays out for us that we can take a step back and go, wow, when I'm fussing over coffee and deviled eggs, I I need to hit the reset button and focus back on what God has asked me to do. But the fact is, we do all struggle with this. And we just saw it from Paul, I think if we're all to admit, um, we do struggle with these things. You know, there's certain things that we come in and and maybe we don't make a big fuss out of it, at least internally we kind of go, ooh, not my style. But the fact that we struggle with it doesn't make it okay. And that's, that's James's next point. James says, the truth is, we each have a decision to make. Let's look at what James says in verses four and five. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is of no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell within us? Now we're going to go back to to verse 4 for a second and and talk about some terms so we're all on the same sheet of music here. When we talk about adulterous people, we're not talking about what most of us would normally assume to be a sexual sin or a marital vow or something like that. We're talking about the break 
of a vow, the lack of commitment, moving back and forth and not settling on one thing. We'll see later that James also calls that being double-minded. We can't set on one place. We're, we're trying to get the best of everything, and that's what he's talking about here, being adulterous. We talk about enmity. The definition of enmity is hostility towards someone else. Now understand who does the action there. It's not that hostility came to me, it's that I projected hostility onto someone else. Other synonyms you might find for, for enmity are animosity, bitterness. It's me sending it out, it's my action. Now we ask sometimes of you know, friendship of the world, what, what does that mean? Aren't I supposed to have friends? Aren't I supposed to go out and reach, reach people in my, in, in my world? Absolutely. Absolutely, we're supposed to do this. But what James is speaking of here is he's saying, you are conforming to the things of the world. You're having friendship with what the world considers to be okay, even if it's counter to what God has told us is okay. And, and understand what, what James says here. You know, whoever, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. It's not like it came onto you, like you're sitting here saying, I don't know how this happened. No, that action was you. By choosing, by making the choice to conform to the things of the world, to accept the things of the world, and to participate in the things of the world, you have made yourself an enemy of God. You did it. You initiated the action. But we see now we're starting to turn. This is where, where you know, we, if, we, if you go back to that, that, that picture that we drew there about you know, coming out of this purity in, in James 3, uh, 17 and 18, you know, now we're kind of at the bottom of that pit there, that little uh, oval at the bottom. And James is now going to start laying out this roadmap for us to turn this thing back up towards the top. Excuse me. And, and you can almost kind of hear a little um, sarcasm in James a little bit when he says, do you not suppose that, did you think God was kidding? You know, you think he was just making it up? He didn't mean it? And, and James is saying, look, these aren't my words. These are God's words. These aren't from me. These are from God. And, and, and when we talk about yearning jealously, let's be careful about understanding what jealousy, because we just talked about jealousy maybe being a bad thing. What, we're ta- what James is talking about here, to have a relationship, a loving relationship with us the way he designed us. That's the, jealous, the way he jealously yearns over our spirit, that he desires us. He desires to be close with us. God wants us to be his own. The problem is we keep pulling it away. We kind of put him at, at arm's length. You know, we're kind of looking at the world. Excuse me. And our first, the first thing we see when we consider that we're going to kind of jump back and forth, you know, and is we've got this thing called pride, that I can figure this out unless I really need God. And James addresses this too. It's our next point. It says, pride always damages our relationships. Let's see what James says here. Verse 6 and 7, he says, but he gives more grace. God gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, the word submit, other words for that include defer, yield, bow, surrender. Quite frankly, words that aren't held in high high regard by the world. The world considers those words to be weak, in some cases worthless, if we surrender, if we defer, if we yield to someone else. That's, That's not considered, especially for guys in the room, that's not considered manly. Problem is, 
You can't do any of that. You can't defer, bow, yield, surrender, submit. You can't do that when pride is in the way. Pride is a block to that. The other thing pride does is it blocks you from saying things like, I'm sorry. I was wrong. You can do it better than I can. We can't say those things when when pride is in our way. But what James is explaining is that when we submit to God, then automatically the result is we have resisted the devil because you cannot submit to God and the devil at the same time. Satan exists. That's a fact. Satan's real. Another fact is Satan is stronger than each one of us. But a more important fact is God's more more powerful than Satan. So that when we submit to God, we automatically resist Satan because the two are incompatible. We can't be with both at the same time, and therefore Satan has no other choice. He can, has no other option than to flee. He can't be with us because he can't be in God's presence. And, and we see that in, in uh, or excuse me, I want, uh, another point that we want to make on pride that we need to understand is Solomon talks about this in Proverbs 3.34. In 3.34, or Proverbs 3.34, Solomon says, towards the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. Now, we get that second piece pretty well. To the humble, he gives favor. We're good with that, but let's make sure we understand what Solomon is saying in the first part. It's not that when we're scornful, God just kind of goes neutral on us. He just kind of says, well, do whatever you want. No, towards the scorners, He is scornful. He is actively working against you. You you might see some temporary success. You might see some temporary value in, 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 in rejecting God. But in the long run, it will not work out because God has actively rejected you. He's actively worked against you because you've rejected him. So that leads us with the question. We're down here and we're trying to get back up. How do we do this? And, 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 and really, the, the, the crux of that is in James 4.8. And, and the point that, that James makes is, God provides a process. Let's see what he says. He says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So there's three things in your bulletin insert. The first one is, draw near. The second one is, cleanse your hands. And the third one is to, is, is to purify your heart. So let's explain what these three things together, these make up this thing called repentance. Okay, we repent. First thing is we do, if we think about drawing near, the, the, the word, I would, word picture I would use here is a oneness. We're, we're no longer separating ourselves or temporarily separating ourselves, moving back and forth. We have, we, have, we have drawn near and we now have a oneness with God. And when we do that, we're, we cleanse ourselves. We cleanse our hands. Think of that as getting rid of the dirt, just getting the dirt off you. Okay, so what, what's the dirt that we have on us? Is it, is it anger? Is it meanness? Is it um, sexual sin? Is it substance abuse? Is, is, you know, is it gambling? What, are those, what is this dirt that we've got on us that, that we need to get rid of and keep rid of? Because it, it's not good enough to just get rid of it one time and then come right back. Think, think of this visual. So if you, I know it's getting towards almost November here, but you're in the middle of the summer 
and you're out doing yard work for a couple of hours. So you're hot, you're sweaty, you're kind of nasty and dirty. And then you come back in, you get rid of those clothes, you go take a shower. And of course, what we all do is we go put those same clothes right back on because that makes us feel good. We'd never do that. That's ridiculous. What, what James is talking about really gets to what Paul describes in Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3 of putting on the new self. We take off that old stuff completely and we do not put it back on. It's gone. It's, in the, it's, it's behind us. And the way we keep it behind us is that we purify our hearts. Those things that were important to us, those passions we had before, we replace them with new passions. We replace the passion for, for, for privilege. We replace the, the, the passion for money or power, prestige, pleasure, whatever it is. We replace that with a passion for God and for, for others. Because otherwise, if we're just back and forth, that, that's just a classic definition of being double-minded. You know, we're, we're over here with God until it's not convenient, then we're doing our thing, but that didn't work out real well, so we're going to run back over here to God. We're just back and forth, and we're just in this, you know, I mean, getting ourselves dizzy in this little loop here. It's, it's, it's frankly insanity. And that leads us to our last point. Because, because without the last point, the rest of this, we, we can't take it seriously. And the last point is that our sinfulness is not a joking matter. Now let's see what, what, what James says about this in verse 9 and 10. It says, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves, therefore, before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Now let's be clear on what James is saying here. James is not saying, accept the gospel, become a Christian, and then live a miserable, depressed, deplorable life. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is, those things that you used to think were cool, those things that you used to think were funny, those things the world things are okay, it's not. It's not funny anymore. Okay? We cannot take our sin or we cannot take a sinful life lightly. Oh, that's just, that's just the way I am. No, it, it's very clear that it's not. The world, the world thinks a lot of things are funny. The world takes pleasure in a lot of things that aren't okay. What James is driving us to right here is see sin for what it is. Ugly, destructive, hurtful, painful. You know, we see and hear stories regularly on the news, talking to friends and neighbors, we hear stories that involve tragedy, the, the, you know, the tragic loss of a family member, um, the loss of a job for, 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 for a friend or family member, uh, um, a, a fire, a plane crash, you know, a, a region of the world that's in war. We, we don't hear someone tell us that and we start making jokes about that. We, we don't think that's funny. And that's what James is saying. These tragic things, these horrible things, we don't make light of them. Turn your attitude from laughing about them to being grieved by it. That, hey, this is serious and I don't want that anymore. This isn't good. This isn't something to laugh at. A um, couple years ago, Facebook, I'm not a big Facebook fan, to be honest with you, but a couple years ago, Facebook um, had, had a situation where they, they didn't even enforce their own policy on, on policing uh, offensive material. And, and someone posted... Uh, what they apparently thought was a joke about domestic violence. And, and, and what they posted was, um, what, third, third of, of men say that they've, they've abused their, their spouse or girlfriend. 
That means two-thirds of men aren't doing their job. That is nothing funny about that. That's disgusting. That's vile. That, that makes my skin crawl. Yet guess what? Facebook lit up with likes on that. The world thought, that, a portion of the world thought that was funny. That abusing a spouse or a girlfriend, they thought that was funny. And it's not. And that's what James is getting to here is, don't laugh at that. Don't laugh at stuff like that. Don't take that lightly. Don't say, hey, it's not, not, not around here, so it's not my problem. No, mourn over that. Grieve over that. Speak out against that. That's what James is getting to. It gives us a sense of urgency that it's the old way we did things isn't good enough anymore. That's what James is getting to. I, I will tell you, I came to Christ at the age of 41. One of the things when I became a Christian at the age of 41, one of the hurdles I had to get over was I had to realize and then work through the fact that everything I believed and everything I thought at the foundational level, I got it all wrong. Everything I believed was wrong. And I, I had to work myself over that hurdle. But when I did, then I started to look back at the things I thought were okay. And I looked back at the things that I thought were funny or the things that I did or things that were acceptable. And then I started to be mournful. Then I started to feel sorrow. Then I was grieved by it. No kidding, I was grieved by it. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe. Not only did I get it that wrong for that long, but I thought that was okay. But when we see that for what it is, we see how dirty and painful sin is, then the gospel message is that much greater. Because when we think about the gospel, when we think about the fact that God sent Jesus Christ out of a perfect heaven into a broken and fallen world for the expressed purpose of going to the cross, not only to take my sin, but to take the punishment for my sin, not, not just the sin of the people who crucified him, my sin, me, when he did that, and I understood that I could be forgiven for all the things I got wrong for 41 years, it made the cross that much more beautiful. It made the cross that much more glorious. Yes, we want to be mournful. Yes, we want to grieve. We want to grieve over our attitudes that we used to have. We want to grieve over the sin and the hurt that we see in the world. But when we accept it, when we get on the other side of the cross and we've humbled ourselves to say, I got it all wrong and it's okay. I'm sorry. I was wrong. You can do it better than me. When we say that, then we've humbled ourselves and God exalts us like James describes in 410. Look, if, if, if this gospel message is new to you, you've never heard this before, or maybe you have and you still don't understand, you have questions, please don't leave here today before we talk. Talk to somebody, because it is that important. There is a sense of urgency. It's not a joking matter. Let's go to prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just love you. We love you for who you are and what you've done. We love you for the forgiveness that you offer through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. 
We, are, we love you and thank you for, for scripture like this in James that, that shows us what you designed. It shows us where we are and how we got there and shows us how to get back to you. But more importantly, it shows us how to lead others to you, Lord. just ask that you would give us a passion for you, for those who don't know you, that we would spread your gospel, we would multiply your kingdom in your glorious name. It's in your heavenly name we pray.